Hey guys, Clarence here. Today's episode of Echo will be the first of many industry podcasts we'll be having this year. And it's covering a topic that I think everybody will find very intriguing. And it's hosted by two members of the media subcommittee, Paul and Ashim. And they'll be interviewing Daphne Shen, who's got a range of experiences behind her. I hope you guys really enjoy this episode. So without further ado, let's jump into it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. Today, we're going to be looking at the good, the bad, and the ugly of starting your own company and what that means for someone's professional career moving forward. Our guest today is um, Daphne Shen, and as a former USW alumni and the co-founder of Z Kaiwa, I'm sure she's got plenty to teach us about regarding start, uh, starting your own company. So, um, hi, Daphne. Do you want to just give us a quick int- introduction of yourself? Hey there. How's it going? Um, yes, so my name's Daphne, and actually, I'm not even an alumna yet of UNSW, so I'm actually still studying. Oh, sorry, yikes. <laughs> you know? um, so yeah, I am doing a Bachelor's of Commerce, mm-hmm. and I'm technically in my fifth year, <laughs> so oh. by all means, I should be graduated, <laughs> um, but I'm not yet, because I am doing everything part-time right, while right. working in tech, so um, when I first joined the university at the end of my first year, I joined the hackathon mm-hmm. and then that kind of led into a two-year adventure in doing my own startup, which is called Kaiwa. Mm-hmm. And then after that, I, um, um, I left that company and then decided to join a high growth startup called Baraha, mm-hmm. where we do, um, where we create the hardware sensors called LiDAR for self-driving cars. Right, right, right. And, um. Yeah, uh, I'm assuming that's an exciting path that uh, opened up for you. And I'm assuming you just jumped aboard because it, ex- introduced, it excited you and uh, you felt like you were invested in that field or? Um, surprisingly enough. So I kind of, I got introduced to Baraha as a company through one of their investors. Right. Um, and I believe also a sponsor of CSOC, um, Blackbird Ventures. Aye. Pretty much at the time I... I was doing my own startup and then I kind of didn't find it as interesting or I wasn't learning as much as I wanted to from doing it. Right, um, right. And then I was just having a beer with Joel from Blackbird <laughs> and then he, I was like talking to him. I was like, oh, I wonder what I should do for like, you know, my next role. Um, and he was like, you know, give me a day. I'll come back to you. <laughs> and then the next morning he had forwarded me an email from one of the founders at Braha and they were looking for someone there. So that's kind of how I got, ju- I jumped in. Um, I didn't know anything about really the tech or the company before that, but, mm-hmm. you know, I'm kind of glad I just blindly said, yes, sure, you know, let's see where it takes me. Um, that's kind of taking me to where I am now, yeah. Wow, that's actually quite interesting to hear. It's not like an opportunity. You saw an opportunity and you just decided, yeah, why not? Maybe I should just take it. And I guess you could say, is that something you like reg- like regularly do? If you see an opportunity, you try and chase it down and see what it, see where it takes you and how it can help you or um sure i mean so this is kind of something i learned about doing my startup a lot of the times it's like you might not be super enthusiastic about doing something but right. really what do you kind of have to lose right um so you know i could have said yes and if i don't like it then i don't like it right so at least right. i figured out something at least i figured out what i don't like um, and then I can quit, you know, and nothing's really lost, right? So you're still young, you can still, you still have the time, liberty, and like no real, you know, responsibilities of, let's say, kids or a mortgage to kind of figure <laughs> out what you like and don't like, essentially. Yeah. Um, okay, so shall we talk a little bit about your past? Cool, <laughs> that makes it sound so <laughs> ominous. Ashim, <laughs> uh, you want to take the rain on this? Yeah. Sure. So we're going to look forward to delving into everything you just mentioned in the next hour or so. It's very interesting already, and it's only been a couple minutes. Yeah. But yeah, we want to start um, at the beginning of your professional career, and that begins with uh, education, most would think. So um, could you give us a rundown of what you began to study at UNSW and what made you pick that uh, subject? Oh, interesting. Okay. Um... Yeah, so actually, when I first joined, um, when I first started at UNSW, I had enrolled in 
uh, double degrees, so bachelor's in mechatronics engineering and biomedical. Um, my kind of thinking there was I wanted to do something that was techy and kind of more involved in robotics. And I was like, you know, cool. Like biomedical definitely sounded really interesting. Right, right. And so I joined and then three weeks in, I remember being on the bus to UNSW and like hating my life because <laughs> I was doing physics 1A and I was like, what am I doing? I don't know yeah. anything. I dropped science in year 11 and year 12. And I was like, what is going on? Why did I choose this? <laughs> like, why did I think this is a good idea? Um, so it wasn't exactly a fun semester. After that semester, I was like, okay, not for me. Um, I like tech, but I'm happy to stay as a consumer as opposed <laughs> to being really in and making it. Um, right, right. So I swapped out and then I went to commerce instead because a lot of my friends were doing commerce. So I was like, you know, they seem like they have their lives together. So <laughs> um, I would join and see, you know, see what it's like. And then, so that's kind of what I did then. And then I'm currently majoring in information systems, which is, you know, as close to tech as you can really get mm-hmm. um, in an emphasis or commerce degree. Um, and then, yeah, so then as I mentioned after that, then at the end of my first year, um, I joined a hackathon completely by accident, actually. And then that's kind of taken me on this weird, wild ride for the next four years, yeah. Oh, so the pivots there. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I guess I thought engineering was a good idea, but I really don't know why, because I didn't do science in high school. I hated it in year 9 and year 10. So I, I don't know I, why. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> I don't know why I thought doing a degree in it would be a good idea. <laughs> A lot of people can relate with that, picking yeah. a subject they think will work out, but in fact, they've never actually tried it before. So yeah, it's completely, yeah, it's great that you could switch. Speaking <laughs> of that, how was the, how was the um, process of switching to like a completely different faculty for gold or was it accommodated by the university? Oh, uh, it's funny actually. So, I mean, so I got a pretty high ATAR. Um, mm-hmm. so actually, I had no issue swapping with just ATAR because it was my first semester. So they still, at the time, I'm not sure about now, um, they let you swap with your ATAR, so using your UAC score, just in your first semester. So I called the admissions office and I was like, hey, you know, can I swap to a Bachelor's of Commerce using my ATAR? Um, and I remember the lady being actually pretty mean over the phone and she was like, oh, you know, <laughs> You have to get it above a certain ATAR degree, blah, blah. Because engineering, by comparison, is like, what, 91 at the time, right? Whereas yeah, business yeah. was like 97 or something. Oh, wow. So I guess she thought, I guess she gets a lot of calls a day being like, hey, you know, can I swap? Because, I, you know, I, but I don't have enough ATAR points. Yeah. And I just remember telling her my ATAR after that. And then, like, instantly the tone was very different. Um, <laughs> but, you know, apart from that, it was pretty easy because you, like, to be honest, I mean, engineering is much more stressful, in my opinion, in terms of the degree itself, because you go from 24 contact hours a week to, I don't know, two. Wow. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it, it, well, that's very reassuring for some of the listeners out there, I'm sure, <laughs> to know that not the, not the end all, be it. Yeah, I mean, I guess one thing change. I would say there, yeah, so... I guess one thing I'd say there then is like I don't really think like if you want to work in tech or if you want to work in startups, I wouldn't say like you have to have an engineering background um, necessarily to do it. You know, there are like many other pathways into tech or startups or whatnot um, that don't exactly require a degree. And pretend yeah. your way through a degree. It's just not yeah. Work for you. <laughs> I just don't know why you'd waste like five years. You know, like or four. <laughs> three four five years doing a degree that you don't really like and they're like on my third week as i mentioned i was like no i'm out <laughs> right yeah well that's awesome that you could switch um very very full process i suppose <laughs> and when you switch to commerce um yep you obviously you enjoyed it um recommend any steps people take who are currently doing commerce at any stage suggestions for uh, student groups to join or by tips if you will yeah tips if they want to to get into tech you mean yeah through the uh, commerce aspect right okay um well i mean there's plenty of 
like business societies and groups that you can probably join. So I know um, in commerce, for example, like case competitions are really popular. And that kind of gives you like a really good microcosm of what it's like to, it's pretty much like a mini hackathon almost, right? So you form a team, you figure out what it's like, and you pitch to a company. That's really exciting. Um, I know at the time, I'm not sure if this is still relevant, there was like a young entrepreneur society. Um, so making sure that you kind of join these societies and these groups is really interesting. I know UNSW has a really strong founders program. Uh, I think it's still called the UNSW Founders Program, I want to say, based out of MCIC. In the, it again, is, yeah. Yeah, it's based out of MCIC, in the campus. Um, actually, so the Kiowa, my, my startup, was based out of MCIC as well. And the whole team there is really supportive, you know, like their whole purpose of being there is to make startups and trying to grow student entrepreneurship which is really awesome. So they have all these different programs for different stages. You know, if you're just starting out, if you just have an idea, or if you're trying to commercialize or scale a startup that you already have, uh, they were really accommodating and really helpful, actually. Right. Yeah, the resources do exist. It's just up to you to take advantage of them. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, all you have to do is really just pop, pop, um, pop down into MCSE one day and just say hi really and then just ask them you know what they have to offer and they definitely want you to <laughs> yeah exactly that's the whole point of the program you know they want people to engage in the programs they want people to be interested in tech and in startups in general that's kind of you know the whole shtick <laughs> yeah and um so you've done your fair share of extracurriculars while you studied i think a lot of students have that question in their mind much effort you put towards getting that high mark or <laughs> spend more time doing extracurriculars like what do you think is more important from the perspective of someone already in the work for, in the workforce yeah oh god do you want my honest answer <laughs> um, <laughs> of course. i think you have to have a bare minimum right so i am not a huge believer of if you like only studying um i think you know if you can get like let's say a credit or whatever wham and a distinction but you have a whole list of things that you were doing on the side where you're having a business where you're doing volunteer work where you're part of a society um like building robots or you know dabbling in that kind of space i find that and also as someone who then interviews graduates i find that much much more appealing you know because it's like hey, clearly you value balance and you value experiences and actually putting what you study to use in the real world. Um, I think sometimes we can stereotype studies as, or for some subjects anyway, as being quite archaic and not really updated with the times, I guess you can call it. So seeing that you have this balance and you have this list of extracurriculars is much more reassuring as an employer on the other side of the table. I think nowadays it isn't enough just to have a degree. Right. Yeah. That's that's a good point. Um, your candid opinion is very refreshing in these times. Um, yeah, if someone has actually been there in the work as opposed to um, university academics telling you focus on specific areas that may not be as relevant today as in the past. Um, you've obviously done this. You're not making stuff up. Just looking at your LinkedIn alone, you have almost an endless stream of work experience volunteering. And uh, yeah, so I think that's rest your career far farther than without. Yeah, I mean, so actually one side thing that I just thought of as well is that like not only does doing all this extracurricular stuff help in terms of how it kind of puts you it gives you a bit of personality, I guess, to anyone who's reviewing your resume. But it also demonstrates the kind of drive in your hobbies. You know, so it's not, it's like clearly, you know, I am interested in, let's say, you know, for example, engineering, right? Like I'm doing engineering because I like it. But in a sense, you almost have to prove that you like it by saying like, hey, you know, I was on the solar um, car team. I did all this stuff on the weekends. I've actually put in the hours and I've put in the effort. Um, because I really am passionate about this field. Yeah. You're, you're more than a student. You're a real person with aspirations and 
of it that way. Mm, for sure. Right. Um, I remember so you said you started your own company, and that was through the Founders Program, uh, which is in its own right very impressive to take that initiative. Remember what we actually thought before you considered making a startup? Oh, okay. Process before, yeah. Yeah, so I'll kind of tell you how I started the Kiowa. So actually, at the end of my first year, so I had slot into commerce. So I was one semester in, and I, you know, had a lot of free time now because I wasn't spending like thirty hours um, a week in classes. So I wanted to actually look for an internship at the time um, at a Japanese firm because I studied Japanese in high school. And I was like, oh, oh, cool. It's a nice way to you know keep practicing the language that I spent so much time learning. And the person I reached out to was like, no, we don't have any internships available, but we do have a program you can apply for. Um, and I was like, oh, you know, I'm kind of interested in earning money so no thanks <laughs> um, right so i almost didn't apply i think i applied like two hours before the deadline um and then i ended up applying and it turned out i rocked up at, it was like a nine day thing right i rocked <laughs> up on day one and everyone was like oh you know today we're gonna form teams and we're gonna pitch an idea and we're gonna you know blah 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 blah, blah. and i was like holy crap <laughs> straight into pitch, the defense yeah pitch an idea I don't have any ideas. <laughs> I just wanted a job. Um, so that's kind of how, that's the hackathon, right? So nine days later, the team I ended up forming up with was the team that won the hackathon. And then the prize for that hack hackathon was, to, you know, to get to Japan in a couple of months and then pitch your idea there and to get was like mentorship and advice from other people. And so we, at the end of the hackathon, it was kind of like, well, we have this trip that we've just won, but it's in a couple of months. So what are we doing between now and then? You know, are we going to go uh, continue? And are we going to see if this actually goes anywhere? You know, people do hackathons for the fun of it, um, not necessarily to make a company. Uh, so, you know, we kind of candidly sat down, I think there were four of us. And so we were like, okay, like, who wants who wants in? Three of us were like, okay, sure, let's just see where it goes. Um, one lady who was at the hackathon dropped out at that point. But the three of us kind of continued and then from there we ended up all being UNSW alumni or still studying there. And then we joined at MCIC and that's kind of where we um started there and we got a lot of support there. That's that's a pretty epic tale, even before the startup. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, there's, I think there's a lot of things that, you know, if you just say yes, um, where it takes you, essentially. Good rhetoric to have, yes. <laughs> um, just to give a more relaxed vibe to this and step away from the career prospects a bit, <laughs> you mentioned you studied Japanese, um, hmm. and... I was amazed to find out that you studied over six languages what um, your career so far. <laughs> uh, could you say how you got to that number, six languages? Yeah, so I mean, I'm Chinese background, so then you grow up learning at least two. Um, and then I think I studied, so I, I studied Japanese first. That was the first language and because my older sister studied Japanese. And I was one of his annoying younger siblings who just copied okay. everything my sister did. Um, so that's why, <laughs> yeah, so that's why I started Japanese. And then after that, my sister also did Korean. So then I did Korean. Um, and then, then kind of going into year 11, year 12, I didn't want to do science once again. <laughs> and then... So I was like, oh, you know what are some other subjects that my school was offering for HSE? And so one of them was like Italian. Um, and I was like, eh, sounds interesting enough. You know, I really liked studying Japanese by that point. Um, I really liked, you know, how you can communicate with others. And then just in general, studying languages was really fun for me. Uh, it was pretty satisfying to, you know, make leaps and bounds. 
Um, And I was pretty good at Japanese. And then I was like, you know, cool, I'll challenge myself and I'll do Italian as well. So that's kind of how that happened. And then, um, yeah, so that's just kind of how you kind of just start studying one and then you like it and then you just kind of, you know, snowball onto the others, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I guess um, sometimes copying is a good thing to do. It fosters <laughs> you to learn more languages. So maybe yeah. you could say you have your sister to thank for that. Yeah, funnily enough, she dropped it after like two years or something, <laughs> and then I continued. Quite ironic. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, do you want to continue us on this journey? Yeah, all right. Um, so let's. I mean, let's just jump right into it. Like Vikaiwa obviously was a pretty big part, or I would like to think is a pretty big part of your life at that time. So like, could you just give us a general overview of what you did there? Yeah, for sure. So the startup itself, so Vikaiwa is stood for um, virtual Kaiwa. So Kaiwa means conversation in Japanese. So then it became virtual conversation. Mm-hmm. And so the whole point or the whole product that we were offering at Vikaiwa was a VR language learning experience. So I kind of just explained then like how I was studying a bunch of languages in high school. But the yeah. thing is, there were two very starkly different experiences doing it in high school, right? One was it being really fun and, you know, you get to play games with your class and actually yeah. learn through immersive learning. That was what taught me Japanese really quickly and what actually made me really attached to it. On the other hand, though, if you try and self-learn a language, for example, a lot, like, you pretty much your only options are kind of, like, you know, buy a textbook, watch a YouTube video, practice yourself in a mirror. Yeah, it's not very, I guess, fun. So the whole point of Ikaio was that, like, you could put on a virtual reality headset and instead of having to learn a vocabulary list, for example, you would um let's say a vocabulary list to order food you could put on the headset you could be in let's say a ramen shop in tokyo mm-hmm. and you could actually talk to someone in vr it's actually like an npc right it's not an actual yeah, real yeah. person and you could practice that way so kind of replacing the textbook experience is something more immersive more fun than something you'd actually remember and enjoy doing would you uh like say then because you understood how like almost undermining it was to learn a language through a textbook would you say that was a reason why you were so dedicated or invested in the company at the time for sure because to me it's like so many people learn through textbooks and they drop it for a reason right like i'm sure yeah. plenty of people have tried to learn through duolingo or yeah. i don't know rosetta rosetta stone or something and you know most people do drop it because essentially what you're doing is you're memorizing flashcards. Yeah. Um, but then through what I did in high school with a Japanese teacher was she made it really fun. You know, we were watching videos, we were discussing it. It was much more immersive and she kind of really took the extra mile. So it was, okay, how can I, obviously you can't send a teacher that's like that to everyone who's learning a language, <laughs> but how could you use technology to enable that, that experience so that we kind of can move away from this rote learning Right, right. That was a um, kind of, um, really for me, that was kind of like my, what's it called, motivation for doing it, essentially. So how can I deliver this experience that I had to everyone through tech? Right. Um, yeah, so um, could do you remember any, like, particular high moments in the company where you just thought, oh, yes, I'm glad I'm here? Like, what, what, what were the days in which you thought, oh, yes, I love being here and this is why I... This is why I decided to join this company and what? Mm. Um, there are plenty if you found the company and you're a fresh high school university student. Yeah. Because um, my other co-founders were much older than me right. um, by quite a few years. So there's plenty to learn there. One of the high moments, I guess, especially was like when you... So we didn't know anything about VR going into the company. Mm-hmm. So then we had to learn literally everything from scratch. So then <laughs> there are lots of moments where it's like, okay, cool. We decided to make this company. Now I have to actually learn how to code <laughs> and make a VR program. Oh, crap. <laughs> where do you even begin, right? Because VR is still a pretty niche industry. Yeah. Um, so being able to actually take you know, wireframes and drawings on a whiteboard 
up an MCICE to actually something that you can, like a natural product, so something that we were delivering to uh, classes at UNSW and a few other unis, mm-hmm. that was actually definitely a high, right? Like, hey, right. you know, it took us this long, but now someone is actually using my product that I have helped build um, and they're actually learning through it. And, you know, that was positive feedback. Of course, there was some neutral and negative feedback as well. But overall, yeah. it was like, hey, this is really awesome that someone is taking something that I've built um, and having a blast with it. So that's on the product side. Another high as well is like when you do startups, especially I think as a student, you might get involved with all these other cool people who are also doing startups, for example. So we were part of, you know, a lot of the MCIC events. And so getting to pitch, for example, we were part of the startup launch programs um, and we were part of the Founders 10X Accelerator at UNSW. So getting to, at the end of the program, there's a demo day. So getting to pitch in front of 200 plus people, that's a pretty exciting experience that while terrifying beforehand is something you don't forget. Um, We also got to go to LA to pitch as well for the, um, what's it called? The Melinda and Bill Gates Foundation. Wow. One of our partners. So we were, I think I was on holiday at Japan at the time and then having to go, oh, crap, drop everything, buy new flights, <laughs> let's go, we have to get to LA. Um, that was, you know, <laughs> being able yeah. to do all that, you know, drop everything at the, um, at the, what's it called, what's it saying, drop of a hat, whatever right, it's called. Right, right. And then having to go to LA and then meeting people in LA who are also in the VR education space, it was very, very exciting. So. Pretty that's cool memories. Cool. Wow, that's that's actually just straight up impressive. That's yeah, wow. <laughs> I can see why I almost like unforgettable experiences. Mm. Um, uh, like I guess bouncing off that, what do you think? What would you say is the most rewarding aspect of being a co-founder? Um, I mean, so you have to wear a lot of hats, right? So you have to learn how to code. You have to suddenly yeah. learn how to manage other people. You have to learn how to do like legal things right so how do you <laughs> yeah. actually start a company how do you get things like hr and contracts in place right right all that kind of stuff is interesting and it's new and you don't really learn it through a course so to speak right um that to me was super rewarding and also on the product side as well so i think i already talked about this but seeing you know, seeing you iterate on something and then especially when you use a test. So we so we had like all these different types of programs mm-hmm. and then different languages. Um and we kind of started off doing it based on very clunky heavy VR software. We ended up we ended up pivoting into you know smaller, more lightweight mobile VR experiences. Right. And the feedback as you get as you kind of figure out your product market fit is really interesting. And very rewarding, right? So you kind of yeah. there are there's lots of friction at the very beginning when you design and make a product, and you're like, okay, awesome, this is gonna be perfect, this is gonna sell, you know, this this is the solution, and yeah. then you get the feedback, and it's like, oh, we think we missed something, <laughs> um, and then going back to the drawing board, figuring out what's next. That entire you know uh, build process is super fun, super rewarding once you actually get to a point where it's like, okay, cool, now this is what we should be selling. Okay. Um, I guess, I I mean, I heard a little bit of, like when you mentioned legal stuff, I heard mm-hmm. a little bit of a stutter in your voice. I'm assuming that was a bit of a rougher subject to learn? Oh, I mean, well, I'm not interested in law, right? right? right. I don't really care about contracts and paying people (laughs) and all that stuff that's the kind of thing which you know if we leave to the professionals yeah exactly you know that's the kind of stuff where it's like if i could get someone else to do it i would (laughs) right (laughs) um like it's fine it's all interesting but then it definitely is time consuming sometimes so you know would you rather be doing that or building our products you know exactly i mean just bouncing off that of course with everything good that came with the company there has to be bad stuff right 
Like, mm-hmm. I mean, uh, so do you remember like the challenges you faced and like what, what, like when you did face those challenges, what in that moment made you think, oh, should I keep going or should I stop? Like how, like just how was those challenges and how did you face them? I love how you asked, like, do you remember? <laughs> because yeah. it's like, I feel like you definitely remember the bad stuff more than right, you do right. the good things. Um, there was plenty. So some of the bad stuff, well, I guess not bad, but more so like challenging. Yeah. Was definitely, there's a whole bunch of technical issues that you want to solve and it just takes you so long and it just feels like, why are you doing this? I mentioned that we didn't know anything about VR before mm-hmm. doing it. So I remember like literally me and my co-founder going and sitting in, I think it was like UTS and mm-hmm. we were on their Wi-Fi. We were watching this YouTube video of some guy coding C-sharp in Unity and we were literally like, what is going on? <laughs> and it took us like two hours to get through this like 10 minute video probably. And at the end of it, we were like, did you understand any of that? <laughs> no. Did you? No. <laughs> um, so during the early days, that's a lot of the technical stuff. Yeah. Um, and of course, what kind of keeps you going is the fact that, oh, cool, you know, making progress. Like, oh, cool. Now I can code X. Now I can code Y. Now my person is moving. Now <laughs> I can, <laughs> now this ball is red. Wow, amazing. <laughs> um, so that's the challenging stuff there. Also, man, like, you, like, you're very resource limited in the startup, right? right so you right. kind of have to make do with what you have. So it's a lot of late nights, you know. I think the day before we launched our one of our um, university programs, we were literally up to like 5 or 6 a.m. Oh, no. And <laughs> things kept breaking. And they were like, why? You were working like three hours ago? <laughs> of course you decided to break now. Oh, um. And then like, I think we got like an hour of sleep before we didn't have to wake up and set up for like a 9 a.m. class. Oh, God. So that's yeah. definitely not fun, you know? Like yeah. you're sleep deprived, you're crabby, you're like snapping at each other. <laughs> and oh, it's like, goodness. why won't this just work? Um, oh. So that was definitely super challenging. And that's the kind of times where it's like, it's like 4 a.m. You're squinting at the screen in the dark and it's like, <laughs> why am I doing this again? <laughs> um, yeah, so then there's a whole bunch of stuff. And then there's a the stuff that you just don't enjoy doing either, right? So I mentioned yeah. the stuff about pitching, yeah. but I actually hate pitching, you know? Oh. It's wow. not fun. It's super stressful, super anxiety, you know, inducing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, after you pitch, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, not to, like pry open anything but do you have a worst do you have a worst memory from working there or do I have a worst memory from working there like the like a day that you went oh, why did it why did I point <laughs> uh, like a day where you thought you might give up or I mean I think towards the beginning when I think I wasn't fully invested yet so right, right. during the beginning when you're kind of like you know how I mentioned like oh, you know, we decided to join, make this startup a reality after the hackathon. Mm-hmm. And I was still kind of in and out of it. I was like, oh, this is kind of fun. But I think what's challenging back then, it's like everyone, like we didn't really clarify and make sure everyone was kind of on the same page about the commitments. Right. So the hackathon ended in December, but then I was on holiday for the entirety of February. <laughs> and... I was like, you know, in New Zealand, I was having a great time. I was, you know, going <laughs> bungee jumping. And my co-founders were like, hey, you need to design these business cards. And I was like, <laughs> I got places to be, man. Um, oh, and so it was kind of like, and obviously, if you don't deliver on your milestones, then, you know, yeah. people will get annoyed or mad or whatever. And then for me, that was like, okay, well, I'm on holiday and I'm, you know, just started at uni, all this kind of stuff. You know, why should I do this? You know, right, you guys right. just being pissy at me for no reason. Um, that's probably one of the things. Like, I remember being very, and maybe I'll just quit, you know, like it was yeah. fun. This program was fun, but not really into it, you know, not really into yeah. investing this much time and effort. 
Um, that was probably a day, and then another day was when I did my first pitch. Mm-hmm. Completely bombed it because I didn't oh, practice. No. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> okay, no, sorry, I practiced without any people because I was too embarrassed. Oh, okay. Don't know how that works. So then I had to go and pitch in front of people. Um, and then to me, because it's embarrassing if you flub something like that, right? Then right, I was like, right. flop. Maybe I'll just disappear and quit and never talk to anyone ever again. <laughs> oh. Um, but yeah, I guess like you pushed through it and well, obviously, I, I would like to say you came out on top and then, yeah, and then you moved on to bigger and brighter things. So um, just not like just to like ask about the general climate now, how is um, how's Corona and how are you dealing with coronavirus in your company now? So at Baraha, well, just in general, I guess. So obviously, it's whole global, you know, thing that's happening. Yeah. In the AV, so the autonomous vehicle industry, it has definitely hit um, because most of the companies, the whole industry is new. Mm-hmm. So it's not like there is some company that already exists, and they kind of know what they're doing. Right. Everyone in my industry is kind of trying to figure out what's happening. Right. Right. So. We sell sensors mm-hmm. to companies that are building the cars. But obviously, self-driving cars aren't something that's super commonplace at the moment, right? Yeah. And so they're still trying to figure out um, how to make a self-driving car. Mm-hmm. And so everyone's kind of been hit by this thing where, okay, suddenly funding has stopped or you know, people aren't on the roads, people aren't outside, and then everyone's kind of tightened their wallets and everything, right? So, right. yeah. Like, okay, cool. You know, we'll just wait it out for a bit. Um, you know, we're just going to make do with what we have. And so startups also have a runway. So obviously mm-hmm. that's been challenging to kind of look at our runway and kind of gauge, okay, when can we realistically survive to what do we need to you know, right. start doing? Let's focus on something that, you know, what our main um, selling proposition is, that kind of thing. Um, was it, I mean, was uh, working from home like something that was instated in your company and was that difficult to change to? Or? Um, it is pretty difficult because we manufacture all the hardware in Sydney oh, okay. at the office. So obviously yeah. you can't manufacture something while you're at home. <laughs> it's six so different if- houses. Yeah, <laughs> I'll just drive. You know, I've built my part. Yeah. I'll drive up, then I'll drive to you, and I'll give you oh, mine. No, I forgot, we'll I forgot that thing. Let oh no, just... I forgot to screw you. Yeah, it <laughs> yeah. doesn't really work. So we yeah. had to have some presence at the office at all times. Right, right. Um, and then so we did though. So that's for the people who are actually related to the manufacturing part of it. Right. But everyone else, though, you still need labs. You still need equipment. Yeah. So we end up doing like a one week on, one week off. Ah, so we okay. split into technically three teams. So one team was always on site because mm-hmm. they were manufacturing the customer units. Mm-hmm. And then the other two, which are more engineering and um, operational focus, they were split into one week on, one week off. Okay. So at least, you know, you have some access to the labs and the office and that kind of thing. Yeah, no worries. Um, and I guess with that, we can shift towards the current day um ashram do you want to take over sure yeah um oops Taking off from your current role i don't think we've actually gone through that so at baraha you're the chief of staff to the cto i don't know about other people but uh when i think of chief of staff the white house is the only thing that comes to mind so yeah (laughs) do you mind explaining what that role entails to our csd audience yeah, awesome. So if you have watched The West Wing, that is definitely <laughs> what um, a lot of people think of. So the chief of staff is kind of a role that stems mainly from politics and then more recently it's become like a business startup role. So if you think of the chief of staff that's in politics and let's say the White House, then it's kind of the person who helps the main person or helps the president run the show essentially. Um, so it's the person kind of helping all of the stuff, you know, helping everything, all the lights, making sure all the lights stay on in the background. Um, in a startup conference context and at what I do at Baraha, it's working with the CTO and his organization and all the departments that he covers. 
and just making sure that, hey, everything, you know, all of his direct reports are kind of working towards their projects and their roadmaps and their goals. Um, and also, so that's kind of like with what we do with his direct reports and an organizational level as, level as well. So the CTO is focused a lot on the technology roadmap, the partnerships with other suppliers and customers, um, looking a few years into the future. So it's about a lot progressing a lot of those things. So it's about, okay, how do we, you know, let's say the CTO has a vision for this piece of material he wants to present. It's a lot of, okay, how do we get the information for that? How do we present it to a customer that is in the easy to understand format um, and actually drive it and whatnot? Um, I do a lot of like side projects as well, which can vary from technical to non-technical, um, which and a lot of those projects kind of focus on more cross-functional departments, which is really fun and really exciting actually. Um, wow. Because you kind of get this top level view of the company because I can work across multiple departments, which let's say if you're a software engineer, then it's kind of sometimes difficult to get that top-down view. Um, so driving a lot of those special projects as well, which is pretty fun. Sounds cool already. I think it's an understatement to say that your role is crucial in the company. Um, <laughs> I think that. <laughs> no, so anyway. <laughs> uh, so how big is your staff and do you get along with them? Is the dynamic like friendship or more like, hey, got to do this by then? No, no playing around vibe. <laughs> I mean, I think we're definitely just a, as a culture, Sorry, let me start from the beginning. Um, so we're currently at 92, 93, I want to say. Huh. We've grown a lot. So when I started, let's say, like a year and a bit ago, um, we're at 65. A year before that, we were at 25. Wow. And then like a year before that, we were at 10. So really, we've kind of been doubling um, numbers pretty much like year on year. So it's definitely been a process trying to cope with that change and trying to cope with the growth super fun um in terms of the culture at baraha we're definitely like a very you know fun crew i want to say so we don't really focus so much on like okay it's nine o'clock make sure you're sitting on your chairs okay it's five see you later we're also not a company which is like hey you know you have to work like 16 hours a day because that's what we're a startup and that's what startups do. You know, we work you till you quit, that kind of thing. Um, surprisingly, we're actually really well balanced in the sense that, you know, work is work and then you have your life outside of work. Right. Um, we really do value the balance. We don't think it's, you know, burnout is very common in people working in startups. And, right. you know, we just, like, it's, won't go into it, but um, <laughs> don't think it's just very productive, essentially. So, yeah, yeah, and as a team, you know, we're a team that kind of plays together, works together. We do a lot of, like, team sports at lunch. Not now, obviously, because of COVID. <laughs> um, but, you know, we used to have something going on at lunch every day. You know, we had Frisbee games. We had soccer games. Um, we used to have, like, Guitar Hero and stuff set up in the lunchroom. Friday beers, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Nice. I guess that's something you have to look forward to in a <laughs> few months. And um yeah, I mean you're you're making great pitch right now, I have to be honest. You're making me want to <laughs> work there. Doing some parallels <laughs> with the Silicon Valley culture. Yeah, um, for sure. It's <laughs> all trying not to be really. Oh <laughs> all right. And um have you ever had a similar role before, like a chief of staff or something like that in your endless stream of experiences in the past? Sorry, what was the question? Have I had an, a similar role before? Similar roles, Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, so a lot of what I do is kind of like driving cadences with the CTO and doing a lot of like random stuff, to be honest, like a lot of business operations which is very, I guess, similar to what a founder might do and because it's very varied, right? So today, for example, I might be doing um, some, I was creating like a model for um, performance in our system. So it's very technical. But then the day before that, I was making 
this presentation for one of our customers and that's not technical at all and then it's very varied so in that sense i think you have to be a good generalist which is what founders are often hopefully good at they're pretty good generalists um so in that sense yeah but then apart in terms of like a similar role then not so much i guess uh, uh, sounds like you have to be a jack of all trades to survive in that role, to thrive, I should say. Yeah, <laughs> I think you unique. have to enjoy. Yeah, I think you have to enjoy doing a lot of things. You know, if you just enjoy coding, then you know it's probably not for you. Of course, um, it takes a large skill set to yeah move forward. So it's great to hear that you are genuinely doing the work. Um, I, I think I would also want to follow a similar pathway of uh, having mm. more broad range of roles where I work. Um, That's a great way to learn, is how I view it. Because yeah, you can't afford to uh, restrict yourself right mm. now, especially now. Yeah, but sure, yeah. make the investment and diversify. Um, That's Braha. Um, I guess it's hard to ask you to pick a single day to outline because you're varied so often, but you try to give us a rundown of how your day works from around nine to around five or whenever you choose to sit down and get up. Okay. Um, cool. So let's say I'll try and generalize a day, I guess. So normally between nine to 10, I'm normally in stand-ups. I attend a lot more stand-ups than usual because I'm kind of across most of the CTO's reporting um, groups. So I might normally we have like three stand-ups. At 9 a.m. we'll have like a manufacturing stand-up and that's kind of checking in on what systems and stuff that we're making. Then, you know, at quarter past nine, we might check in with our R&D teams. At 9.30, it might be with our product engineering teams. Um, and then actually at 9.50, me and the CTO, well, the CTO runs a stand-up um, for his half of the organization. And that's kind of updating everyone that reports to him on what's going on. You know, this has been really important with COVID because everyone's working from home, right? So it's become very difficult to kind of understand what's actually going on in the business. Sure. So a lot of 9 to 10 is kind of prepping for that stand-up that we run um and making sure there's enough material for it then throughout the day after that we're kind of generally free um i might host say once a week i help host and drive the cto staff meeting so making sure everyone's kind of got their material ready for that that involves just chasing down um all of the cto's direct reports and making sure they've updated everything in their slides and their metrics and stuff are up to date and then actually running that meeting um normally it's just a whole bunch of meetings really so then you know i might look at budgets for example so i help um overseeing kind of i'm responsible for a couple million dollars in terms of like r&d budgets and our manufacturing budgets making sure all people are spending what they should be spending. Um, yeah, and then recently, I guess, it's been a lot of, like, we've had some new managers come on board, so making sure they're okay, um, seeing if they need anything. You know, we're organizing a lot of cultural workshops recently at the company, so helping drive those, essentially, and making sure everyone's kind of on the same page. Um, so a lot of, like, leadership communications there. Um, I'm currently also, let's say, preparing for our company All Hands, so making sure we have slides for that and everything. Um, and then, you know, I might spend the afternoon doing some more technical work. So as I mentioned earlier, I'm currently trying to do, um, make a model of, from inputs, we have multiple manufacturing tests. So trying to, when I'm currently trying to predict um, our system's performance based on the results of those tests. So currently using Python to um you know do some decision trees and you know principal component analysis at the moment which is pretty exciting pretty fun sounds like it for sure that's awesome how much you get to do and 
every single day you have multiple overlapping tasks and projects. That sounds very exciting. I think I could <laughs> yeah. survive, but... If, I mean, if anything, I guess it's just what I'm trying to say. It's pretty varied and you have to be pretty good at context switching. Um, but it is super fun. That's great to hear. And before you, while you were trying to get this position, when you are doing your career search, did you try to narrow down on IDAR tech or autonomous vehicle companies, or were you more looking forward to the um, position itself, the chief of staff or whatnot? I think so I was definitely you... more interested in the position at first, um, and then that kind of fell into the tech and the industry after that. And it's, I think it's fine no matter, you know, which way you go first. Because for me, I was really interested in learning and seeing how a startup grows. So being in some kind of business operations position was kind of what I was looking for. So now I'm pretty lucky in the sense that I get to work directly with our CTO um, and, you know, helping him do his job essentially. You get to essentially shadow the CTO of like a 100% really rapidly growing startup around and then to help and see what he does day to day, which is a pretty unique experience. Um, so that's kind of what I was looking for. And then now, I guess, after then doing the job and realizing, hey, this is really technical, but it's got really awesome impact, right? You're essentially helping save lives by changing the future of transport on the roads. That's kind of when I fell into the tech and the industry of AV. That's very interesting to see how you begin that pathway. Um, yeah, sounds very appealing. Um, has the moral compass to it as well. And I guess that with your role, you're somewhat being mentored in a way. Um, and I guess that would lead to a good amount of career progression. Mm -hmm. Sure, yeah. Great. And um, from that, trying to touch base on your company's future um, uh, goals, artists that you're currently expanding into overseas markets like China and the US. I think as students, we're always looking forward to having the opportunity to expand other countries or wherever it may be. Um, it's it's kind of can be overwhelming, I think. But um, how do you think that your your overseas ex, uh, advancements have been affected by the current global climate? Like, work being hindered, can you still proactively cooperate with the other countries, the U.S., China, your other offices? Yeah. So in terms of the market and also so we have been like most of our customers are in america or asia because that's a lot of where the self-driving action i guess is centered around um and so before it's been pretty simple in a sense of if we need to do a demo then we'll send one of our field engineers there with the system equipped and they can actually just go to the customer and do a demo with them um when we actually sell a system as well, we basically do an in-store there at the site. Like we would send someone over to help the customer and kind of ease them into it. Um, of course, with COVID, we can't fly and we can't actually, you know, people couldn't travel at the time. You know, companies weren't accepting visitors. So that's kind of led us as a company to then go, okay, crap, like we need to really up our customer experience game. Uh, and so that has led us to do, you know, virtual demos or virtual installations where we'll help them do an install over Zoom or, you know, Microsoft Teams. Um, so that's, we've, and actually it's worked out really great. And so it's actually been, I guess, kind of like a positive externality of the whole thing because now we've kind oh. of optimized how we, you know, one part of our customer journey actually, which is pretty good. Wow. Almost like a blessing in disguise. Maybe that's an overreach, but yeah. It's a <laughs> yeah, force I mean, you do that. I'm good thing, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, and, not and, all bad. And you can always keep these new skills at hand whenever you need them yeah, after absolutely. the period. Um, yeah, it's one of those things where it's like we always meant to do it 
but then we never ended up doing it. And now we, you know, this has kind of kicked us into doing it. And how often that you're forced into doing stuff for the better. Mm, yeah, for sure. <laughs> so you're obviously very early on in your career. Um, do you think you could estimate what comes next for you? Like if you're going to continue in your current role or maybe look for a role in Braha or elsewhere? Um, I mean, in terms of like next roles, I think it's interesting because I like to think that I'm pretty open-minded because obviously how I got here in the first place was kind of like not being too fixated on a certain goal in the first place and just kind of saying yes to things and seeing where it ended up um and that's kind of worked for me so far so I'm sounds like it (laughs) so that's kind of what I'm interested in doing is seeing what happens essentially um I think it's funny as well because I was talking to my manager about this when I think when it first started because I was like, hey, you know, I don't have a background in autonomous vehicles. I don't have a PhD in robotics or SLAM, like a whole bunch of other people do here, you know, or optics or something. Um, and he was like, well, and I was pretty much like, I don't know where I'm going in this company. And he was like, well, I don't think it really matters what you are doing, but in the sense of if you do whatever you can do to help the company succeed, then it's kind of like, you know, the tide rises, um, what's the saying? Like the tide rises all boats, essentially, right? So if everyone, if the company succeeds, we bring you up with us. So from there, really, you can go wherever you want, um, depending on what opportunities open up. Oh, that's a great so, way of looking at it, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, just keeping an open mind, I guess, of... I think I like I'm I know now I'm more interested in staying in smaller companies and you know staying in business operations with a bit of technical tasks um but apart from that really I'm kind of just we'll see how things go <laughs> I guess keeping an open mind have served you well so far it's brought hmm. you here yeah and think that you have an idea of what your dream job is i mean it's hard enough to estimate what your next position might be but at this stage do you think you have an ideal position in mind or or not really oh like maybe like 10 20 years down the line <laughs> um i guess i'd be interested in founding another company um but probably or maybe being like an early employee um but then kind of looking at more of like the operation side of things so fully jumping into that side of the business um being maybe more like a coo type of role obviously this is way into the future um that's kind of what i'm more interested in or maybe at my current job i do a lot of data analytics and whatnot and i find that super interesting so maybe something in that space as well don't know yet That's that's very cool. It's very great. Good attitude to have. <laughs> and I think that with that, I can kind of look towards maybe giving advice to our listeners. Uh, Paul, do you want to? Yeah. That um, away. Like, I mean, you would say that, as you've said, most employers look for extracurricular, like something that differentiates you apart from studies, because everyone can grind and get a great wham and whatnot, but. To get the balance between, I guess, academics and extracurricular is something that differentiates students. So, um, how would you like suggest to current students um, to look for opportunities and like a job opportunities or volunteering opportunities? Mm, are you talking, let's say, like, what kind of mediums or yeah. how to get noticed? I guess both. Mm, okay, I mean, so I found. Every venture capital has firm has like a job board. So I would start there. Like if you're interested in tech, right, then you would like I would suggest going to let's say Blackbird's um website and then looking at their job boards and seeing right, right. what kind of companies they've invested in. Every different VC firm has a different kind of focus, right? So some VCs are more interested in deep tech or hardware. 
Um, so kind of just figuring out, you know, what kind of VC and what kind of portfolio companies that they've invested in, that right. you might be interested in. Um, and that's kind of where I would maybe just begin to look, right? If you're only doing it online, let's say nowadays, go to the job boards, have a look at what you want, um, and then, you know, applying it that way. If you know what is like, especially what company you want to apply for, mm-hmm. you know, make sure you're following them on LinkedIn, make sure you're kind of consuming their content. A lot of, you know, firms now will have LinkedIn pages, they might have Medium blogs, right, right. kind of reading and just making sure you're keeping tabs, even if they aren't hiring at the moment, right? Because let's say they do open a role, let's say a graduate program down the line, mm-hmm. and what will make you stand out in that interview will be like, hey, you know, I've been reading your blog since 2020 and, you know, I was really interested in in it and you're kind of just proving your passion for the company. Right. Um, what's worked really well as well is that sometimes firms or startups will be at, you know, careers fairs and everything. So make sure you're going to those. Sometimes you might find that um, startups will send people to talk at certain events um, related to their company or their industry. So making sure you're going to those, making sure you're introducing yourself to people there. Yeah. And kind of trying to get connections that way because, you know, a warm entry to a company is, you know, much better than just applying through LinkedIn or something. Yeah. Um, if you're actually applying, if you're really, really passionate about something and you really want a job, then I actually wouldn't even turn down, like, messaging, let's say, the founders, like, trying mm-hmm. to email them or, like, email, like, LinkedIn message them. Right. Um, might not get a response, you know, nine times out of ten, um, because most people are very busy. But I think it that definitely does signal like a hey, I am very passionate that even though you don't have a job opening available, you know, I just want to message you and say like I'm really passionate about the company. I'd love to work with you. My experience is X Y Z, and you know, I'm just here. You know, and you might not get a reply, and you know, that's probably more likely than not. Um, but you might get a reply and they might forward you to their recruiting team. And surprise, the recruiting team actually has a job listing. They just haven't gotten around to posting it yet. And then, right, right. you know, from there on, you can do that. That's actually happened to one of our graduates. Um, oh. They messaged our CEO on LinkedIn. <laughs> and then they were like, oh, cool. You know, this is actually really, you know, this this lady is very, very driven. And he sorry yeah our CEO forwarded um this graduate's details on to our head of people and culture and then she started as a grad wow so So, it works (laughs) yeah so basically if you don't get yourself out there there's no way someone will see you yeah for sure and I guess just like I'm a big advocate of making sure you really communicate your drive and passion for the company or the industry um so making sure you know you're not just applying because you want a job, which might be true, but there's you know some element of fake it till you make it, right? Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. It could be as simple as saying like in your cover letter being, "I'm really passionate about this um company because I saw this article in TechCrunch about you," right. and you know that's why that that's kind of what triggered me to apply. Right. Um, I would say don't spam the company because this yeah. also happened to us recently. But <laughs> like you know, it's cute that you're you're so excited to work here. But if you're somehow scraping everyone's emails off LinkedIn and you're emailing emailing like twenty people from the company at once, yeah, you know, not, not great either. <laughs> yeah. Um. Uh, I don't know. Anything else you wish to say to current students? Oh about finding a job in tech i mean i you know 11 out of 10 recommend trying to get a job in tech and not just jumping to let's say like a very established software firm or something like that right right um because i think while you're young or just as a graduate you like there's no real need to i guess prioritize money or earning cash right i think it's much more valuable to Sure, you might not be earning as much as your mates who are working from other firm earning six figures straight out right, of uni. Right. 
but I guess you, I would recommend thinking about it long term, you know, like you might take a pay cut, so to speak, at your first job. But hey, what happens if that startup teaches you 10x than what you'd learn at, let's say, a bank or whatever? And yeah. then using that experience, then you double your mate salary at your next job. Right. You know, because you invested time and effort in this startup that then grew and then, you know, exited and, you know, went public or something like that. That's a right, way right. better experience to have. Um, and sure, it might be daunting because, you know, cash is great. You know, <laughs> high salary is great. Yeah. No one's going to complain. And you got to do what you got to do, I guess. Um, but if you have the liberty, especially while you don't have kids or you don't have <laughs> house to pay off, um, that's definitely something I would recommend, even if it's just for experience. You know, if you don't, maybe you don't, maybe you end up not liking startup, startups or whatever. At least you tried, you know? Yeah, that's okay. Like, you're allowed to fail, you're allowed to make mistakes, you're allowed to back off. That's, I guess, that's the gist of it. Yeah, and I wouldn't even call it failing, right? It's just kind yeah. of like you figured out what you don't like. Like, I exactly. worked at a corporate and I was like, okay, cool. I don't like this. I'm out. <laughs> See you later. Yeah. Um, and at least now I know. Yeah. Um, well, I, I mean, we've kind of hit the hour mark uh, just about. Um, yeah, so thank you for coming on. Thank you for teaching us the highs and the lows of a startup and I guess how that compounded into your professional career now. And um, yeah, would love to see where you go in the future and good luck with everything. Awesome. Thanks very much. Hopefully that was useful. <laughs> okay. Thanks for having me on. I think everyone, everyone has a lot to take away from Yeah, that. for sure. Thanks mm-hmm. to our listeners as well. Hope you enjoyed that. Found that informative and entertaining at points and look out for the next episode. Bye. Thank you, Daphne. Bye. Thanks. Thank you.